welcome to the Multifamily Real Estate Experiment Podcast, where we ask the question, do you own enough of America? This podcast was created for active and passive real estate investors who's wanting to own more multifamily properties. Each week, we will be discussing strategy for successful acquisition, how to implement risk mitigation control, all while maintaining flexibility when invested in multifamily properties. As a researcher, we use a scientific method to systematically test assumptions and then analyze the data collected to both increase our understanding of the problem and to identify possible solutions. Wait a minute, Doc. That sounds just like a Marine Corps planning process. <laughs> Wait, what, what do you mean? What is that? What is our primary means of ensuring that we are successful in combat or even a training event? We go through problem framing, then we course of action development, course of action wargaming, and then we compare our courses of action and decisions, and we issue the orders, and we transition to the battlefield. Man, that does sound similar. Well, our goal each week is to apply approaches such as these to own a multi-family real estate by dissecting questions that increase your understanding of this asset class through an analysis of observations from both us and our guests. We are your two hosts, Hutch the Marine Investor and Dr. Heat Jones. Welcome. Now let's get into the deal lab. Welcome to the Multifamily Experiment Podcast with your co-host, Dr. Heath Jones. Good morning, Marine. How are you doing? What up, Doc? <laughs> I'm Hutch, the Marine Investor. Uh, thank you for tuning with us today. All right. Well, Hutch, uh, let's just get into it. What are we going to be talking about today? Oh, man. You know, um, through life, you want to wanting money to work for you, right? So I think today we should talk about some broad investment, and then we kind of narrow it down into more a focus of where we're investing. Oh, that makes sense. I guess the two big ones are real estate and uh, stock market. And what? so most most people know about the stock market. That's where your retirement funds go. That's where a lot of people make a lot of money, right? Right. But it's like imaginary stuff. So let, let's see if we can differentiate between imaginary and what's real. <laughs> All right. right. So uh, yeah, let's let's just dive into it. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we're looking for when we when we invest in is the ability to analyze what we invest in, right? And there's a wealth of information out there that help us to make well-informed decision. Some of them, um, it's a little bit easier to analyze and some is, is significantly harder to analyze because you do not have any control of what happened, right? Warren Buffett said, um, the first rule of investing is what? Not to, lose, not, not to lose not money. Not to lose money, that's right. right. <laughs> and the second rule uh, of investment is go back to rule number one, don't lose money. Right? And doesn't he also say never invest in something you don't understand? You're absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. I mean, like stocks are just numbers. It's like matrix code to me. Like I, ha I can't read it. I don't know what to make heads or tails of it. I always just handed my money over to a financial advisor and I'm like, here, take my money and, and make it make more money. And they're like, sure, I'll take your money for a fee and it's not going to do squat. <laughs> right. So how about when you wanted to get that money back? Oh yeah, no, they, they're, they're very, very uh, persuasive in making sure you keep it in. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the, one of the big reasons why a lot of folks invest in, in, in the stock market is to be a little more liquid, right? Because you can sell your stock at any time, right? And, and you can get that money back. 
but that doesn't give you that that um capital preservation because if you need that money back at any time if you're trying to be liquid that's the um, strategy then it could be less than what you actually invested because of the cyclical the cycle of the market right now right so one we, we we like investment that is, that is um easier to analyze and we also want to invest in something that we can we can we understand right now, how about tangibility? Is that even a word? Tangibility? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. If it's, it's not, not it is now. It's Jamaican, you created it. But anyway, <laughs> we like something that we can actually reach out and touch, right? And what yeah, was yeah, the- no, not like one of my favorite parts on the, the Wolf of Wall Street is when Matthew McConaughey is like, "It's fairy dust, man. You know, like <laughs> you, the money, it it, it doesn't exist. It's a, a fugazi. You mean fugazi? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I would. I, I, like you said, with pulling out the money, it's it's it doesn't become real till you pull it out. As far as uh, at least rental real estate, I I don't like I said I don't know why the stock market goes up or down. I can't predict anything. I don't think anybody could really predict what's going to happen. But I can predict that I'm getting a monthly rent check each month, and I can go cash that each month, and I can see my bank deposit or account the value in it go up each month whenever I cash that rent check. So. That's that's one of the reasons that I fell in love with real estate. Uh, so, but that's right. So, also when we do investing, we, we would like to have something that offers some some kind of um some kind of benefits, right? Um, so, and I know you like some of the benefit that um, the real estate state offers. We're gonna get into that here, here yeah, shortly. That's right. You know, the government is on your side. I was uh, I was watching a video with Tim Ferriss on it. And he's like, a lot of people are like, oh the the taxes are only good for businesses. They're only, they don't help the little people. They don't help the common person. They only help businesses. And he said, well, if that's the case, why don't you take advantage of that? Create a business. If you're not a formed entity, then the next month after my talk, that's on you. You're not taking advantage of what the government has set up for you. And specifically yeah. for real estate, there's, there's a whole list of things that you get that you don't get with the stock market. Okay, absolutely. Like cash flow, right? So there's some there's some um, stocks that provide you with, um, with with dividends, right? But a lot of folks, what they do, they re- reinvest the money back into the into the stock market, and of course, that it helps them to get a nice nest egg. You know, so we're not really knocking the stock market, but um, when you talk about cash flow and having getting the money on a quarterly or a monthly basis, we think there's another asset class that um, provides you more cash flow. Are, are, are significantly better cash flow over time. Well, there's also that you mentioned it, the cash preservation. You can put your money in the stock market and it go up and up and up. And then you go to bed that night, something on the other side of the world happens. All of a sudden people freak out, sell all their shares. You wake up and poof, all your money could be gone. That's that's a very real situation that could occur in the stock market. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely right. So the great man, um, even though he's, he's one of the, the, the wisest investor, Warren Buffett, you know, he talks about um, find a way to make money while you're sleeping, right? But we, we've seen the climb in, in the stock market in re- recent years. And I think a lot of folks are starting to become concerned. And I think it's just a cycle of the economy, right? It does happen. But right, it doesn't offer that capital preservation. Well, another, another thing you're talking about benefits, we talk about the tax benefits, right? So if we're in the stock market, say you make a lot of money and you pull right. it out, you're going to be taxed on those capital gains. Capital gains are just simply the profits you receive from the sale of your shares or, or in the case of real estate, the sale of the property. But depending on the situation, you can be taxed differently. But the, the 
cool thing about real estate is you have the ability to roll over those gains into another property. This is known as a 1031 exchange. You're also able to uh, reduce the, the tax hit you would get from those capital gains if you look at things like depreciation deductions of your real estate assets. Um, you can deduct the mortgage interest that you have, the debt service that you have on each property. So there's a whole host of things that you can start deducting to reduce the amount of taxes you pay for any of the capital gains that you've gotten from the sale of a property. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So pretty much you're saying that the government wants us to be rich, right? They want us to provide <laughs> a place to live, right? They want to prov- if we provide a place to live, then there's a ben- there are benefits. And if you're providing jobs... That's just going to say jobs. Significant tax tax benefit. So that kind of leads us into the more specific form of investment, which we focus on, which is a multifamily investment. I know a lot of us, we want to live the American dream. And we were told that the concept is go to school, get a good education, get a good job, purchase a house, have a family or have a family, purchase a house. But I think you should have a house before you have a family, right? So purchase a house, have a family. And that's the American dream, right? Invest, 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 and get the money whenever you're six or five and above and then retire and live a happy life. But one of the things we, we like about uh, multifamily real estate is that you can I guess they could say, have your cake and eat it too. Right. You, you don't have to wait to 65. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, um, that's one of the things we like about multifamily spaces is, um, is the, the ability to, to have cash flow now. And, and you, you take control of the wealth building. So in the first situation, the, the sort of the American dream that our grandparents and, and even our parents somewhat grew up with, you are working your butt off at your job and you're squirreling away a little bit that then is put into some... Uh, stock market vehicle, 401k, you may have a, an IRA set up and you're saving that and it's building and that number's going up and, and that those funds are going up. But it, 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 I, it, for me, I didn't understand what wealth actually was. I, I thought that was wealth. Uh, but I've come to find that wealth is not just a number in your account that's going up. Wealth is having the ability to have income coming in monthly while you're not necessarily doing anything, right? You're, you're purchasing things that will bring cash into your pocket. That's that's wealth. Wealth is also being there for the people you love, having the time to do things. And if you're working a job every day, then that's difficult. But as you start to build income streams, you can then focus less on a job because you have money coming in so just because you don't have a big number in the savings account or your 401k doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a wealthy person. It's different for everybody what your definition of wealth is, but yeah, absolutely. Now, so we've seen through numerous numerous articles and books and um, and statistics that um, significant amount of of um, billionaires or wealth has been created through real estate. Ah, oh, shoot, McDonald's is in is in the real estate business, right? Yeah. Location, location, location is like one of the, the number one standards in the real estate. Yeah. Now, multifamily is is absolutely amazing. Now, what we like about multifamily is that um, it gives us one of our investment criteria, which is it's easier to analyze. That's right, right? Because the 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 value of the asset is based off the income it, 
based off the ability of the property to produce a set or a predetermined income. So it makes it a lot easier to analyze. Now, if you're in single family, single family buy and hold is also another investment strategy, but you do not have that economy of scale. Right? That's you're right. So uh, I have to say, when I first got started, I, I had some friends and they bought single family residence, and they've been doing it for ten years. So they, they've lived around the world, and each place that they go to, uh, you know, they buy one house here, one house there, and over time, after about ten years, they had ten units that they have rented out. And I'm like, well, you know, like that's a good strategy. That's a good retirement strategy. And so my wife and I, we were like, all right. We're going to do one house a year for the next five years. After five years, we'll have five properties on 30-year notes. We'll be 65 when all those 30-year notes are close to being finished. And then we'll have that nest egg. But what, what I realized was that's kind of the same thing, right, as, as just squirreling it away. Like I, I wouldn't be able to, to use any of that until 30 years later. Yeah, I'd be getting $100 a month for one, and then I'd have to save up a lot of money, buy another one, then I'd get $200 a month for those two doors, and then save up a lot of money and buy a third. I'm like, $300 a month after two years isn't uh, that exponential growth that I saw whenever I started analyzing multifamily rental properties. So that economy of scale is a beautiful thing, brother. Yeah, absolutely, it, it is, it is. Now. Um, also, also, we also like that it provides us the the ability to to force appreciate um, the value of the property. That's right. right. One of the things we look at, um, we invest in B and C class property, which um, are poorly managed and also have some some room to some room to grow. So that is something that we factored into our into into our analysis to ensure that it has to be able to one, it has to cash flow and there has to be some value added component to where we can realize um, a very, very enormous return on our investment for ourselves and our investors. That's right. I mean, like it cash flowing is the, is a huge criteria. Are there any instances where you might want to buy something that's not cash flowing right away? So say property is less occupied, right? So low occupancy. So you have room to grow, but it's going to take a few months to maybe implement some upgrade, things like that. Um, is there ever any, some wiggle room, I guess, for whether it's cash flowing right away? If you can see it's going to cash flow yeah, considerably absolutely. in like a year or so it is. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks do that, right? Where they do a complete renovation starting, starting day one or two or three, where you find a property that is, that is, that, that is in a great area, but it's in so bad shape that the only business strategy is to, is to start renovate mass renovation immediately. So those are proven to be some of, some of the, some of the, some of the ones that has bigger returns. What comes with that is a little bit you have to become a little more strategic with, with, with structuring your loan or structuring your financing uh, because when you have something that is less than 90% occupied, then it's going to be challenging to get agency debt, which would be financing by Fannie Mae and or Freddie Mac. Um, not to mention, if you, if you have investor that is focused purely 
on cash flow, you might not have those investors buy-in up front. So it gets a little bit more complicated because now you have to front more of the financing as far as raising more cash for the purchase. And so I guess uh, the, the bottom line is uh, with the easy to analyze and uh, predictability of rental real estate, then you, as long as the, your numbers work, if you run the numbers and you have a business implement business plan that you plan to implement, uh, and you have it vetted through agency lenders, you have it vetted through your other partners, you know, that, that brings up some, some other things that we'll talk about in other episodes of the podcast, right. <laughs> building your team, one agency lending Two, we have, uh, several episodes planned out where we're going to dive into each of these more specifically. So yeah, no, the, the forced appreciation is, is a beautiful thing as well. Uh, especially if you think about having, a 50 unit, a hundred unit, or even a, a 12 unit. If you uh, increase the rent $25, $50 at a, for a single family resident, then you're just making $50 a month extra. But if it's hundred units at $50, you're now making an extra five grand a month, right? So it, it's very beautiful, this exponential growth you can see uh, across having multiple units in one place. And it's also a, a little bit more easier to manage. You know, say you had a an 80 unit apartment building sort of or complex in one area as opposed to an 80 unit single family home portfolio that's spread out all over a city, two cities, two locations. You now have to manage 80 roofs and 80 HVACs, different places. But for an apartment building, everything is sort of consolidated in one area. So it makes it a little bit easier to manage as well. So that's another benefit of multifamily real estate. So Yeah, absolutely. And the management aspect of it is something we'll talk about in another episode. But as far as some people do not want to have investment properties because you got to deal with tenants and toilets. Now in the, multi, in the multifamily space, this is one of the things we like about it. Um, additional to the economy of scale, we can also, we can also employ um, third-party management, professional property managers that can help us to not help, which they become a, a vital part of the business plan in, exit, in ensuring that we can manage a property, make renovation and increase efficiency, and also seeing the returns that we, that we, that we need for ourselves and our investors. Yeah, some might say that they're the most important person on your team, right? Yeah. So they're the ones that are going to realize your, your vision, your goals for a particular property. They're the ones that are going to tell you, hey, you want to raise the rent in this place, in this area, on this street by how much? No, no, that's not going to work. No one's going to pay that. You wouldn't know that as the investor because, or, or the, the asset manager, because you may not be there. You may be three hours away. You may be in a different state. And so the property manager is your boots on the ground. That's going to tell you in this area, this is the most you can get. And if you put that into your business model and you're not getting the returns you want, you may want to pass on that particular deal. So the property manager is going to be a very, very important member of your team. Yes, absolutely. So us as the investors, passive investors, active investors, we do not have to worry about to the depth of which owning a single family house goes tenants and toilets. Right. They do concern us because we want the occupancy to be high to ensure that we can realize a return. But so we want to be concerned with tenants to make sure they have a safe, clean, affordable place to live. So yeah, we are concerned about tenants, um, but we're not there fixing toilets at 12 o'clock in the night. Yeah, we're getting those phone calls. Oh man. Yes, absolutely. I got, 
One, we should do one episode where we just talk about tenant stories, man. <laughs> like, yeah, we definitely <laughs> tenant stories. Let's, let's do uh, that. You know, I, I'll, I'll give a little uh, uh, preview or a little, uh, my, my number one thing that I would, anybody who's going to self-manage, my number one advice that I give, you guys ready for it? Do not open the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain why in a different episode. Just remember I told you that. If you're self-managing and you're going into an apartment that's been vacated, or even if it's someone who still lives there, do not open the fridge. (laughs) Let someone else (laughs) worry about that. That's that's why you pay for cleaning services. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, okay. So getting back to sort of this multifamily in comparison to the stock market. One other thing that I've noticed and I hear a lot of people talk about are that uh, this asset class, as as opposed to the stock market, is a little bit more shielded from at least large changes in the housing market. So everything that happened in the 2008 housing market crash or bubble, uh, a lot of that depreciated single family home values considerably. And that's where a lot of people got in trouble. However, from all the people that I've talked to that owned multifamily assets, that there was a, a little dip, but it wasn't affected as much. And I think from what I understand, that's because you're still getting rental income from this place. And so you're able to ride it out a little bit. And since the value of that particular property is based on its income and not so much on the comparables or the market around it to a certain degree, you are able to uh, ride out any downturns in the housing market. Is that something that you've come across too, Hutch? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's um, countless information um, that that supports that, right? So, I think during the the, la- the last um, financial recession, we had um, um, single-family homes um, default rate was about four percent, right? Wow. While, um, while while multi-family space was like 0.04 something like that. I could be wrong on the numbers, but <laughs> that's a whole sig- order of magnitude, man. <laughs> it was significantly <laughs> less, right? And I think one of the big bigger reasons is that. When we are purchasing a single-family house, it's usually just you, right? Um, right. Unless you're doing it on a larger scale where you create a fund and doing turnkey rental and all that good stuff. But majority of us are not doing that. Majority of us, we're purchasing um, one single-family house at a time. Um, unless we probably find a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, so on and so forth. But when, we, when we're doing that with our own money, we can push the margin as farthest as possible. But with multifamily, you, you talk about um, being um, having them properly analyzed and we also created margins to where we can provide our investors the return we promised. Not to mention right. the, the bank is looking at this asset and they have significant amount of information about that area, that property, uh, so they can make a decision on if that property has will be producing enough income. <laughs> it's kind of like you have more accountability when purchasing multifamily versus versus single family. You're accountable to you to yourself, your business partner, and also to, to your investors. You can also say uh, the the lenders aren't going to lend you 1.4 million dollars without them seriously vetting how well that place is going to perform before they give it to you, right? Not to mention they're vetting you as the op- operator and well, your right? team and Which, your team. We'll talk about that in, in another episode of Team Building, which we we will have Brian Briscoe talking. I'm about. excited about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, Brian Briscoe talking about team building, and I think that's going to be a very important topic. 
Yeah, I think so as well. And for uh, as we as we start to to wrap up here, what we have planned, we have uh, some episodes to talk about mindset, where we're going to bring on some people to talk about how to get in the correct mindset. Uh, we're going to have a very good episode on active versus passive investing. We'll also have some uh, a lender on uh, to talk to us about what all it takes and what you should be thinking about to get all your ducks in a row to make sure you can put in an offer on a place. We'll have an episode where we're talking about what all goes into an offer for multifamily instead of just putting in a sales contract that you kind of do with your real estate agent for your house or a single family resident. You first put out what's known as a letter of intent. This is your intent to purchase. And so you can put out all the terms for the particular property that you're looking to purchase. And then you agree upon that. And then a contract is uh, written up between the two parties. So we'll talk about what all goes into an LOI. We'll talk about how, how to find deals. We'll talk about how to interact with brokers. So we just, we got a whole, I mean, like it's, the, the more I talk about it, the, the, the more it just, uh, we have so much that we want to talk about and we get excited about this. I mean, like <laughs> Hutch and I met at uh, Michael Blanc's Dealmaker Life and it was just this immediate fire that you could see in the other. And it's, it's going to be really awesome just to sit down with you each, each week and hash out all the stuff and, and just get our thoughts out about this. And uh, hopefully we can deliver our passion for, for this to our audience. So yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Um, so um, stay tuned for more episodes with, um, from the Hutch the Marine Investor and Dr. Heat Jones. And thank you again for tuning in to the Multifamily Experiment Podcast. Out. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily Real Estate Experiment Podcast. Theme music, Zigzag by Kevin McLeod. Licensed CC by creativecommons.org. If you like the value that we provided to you, please subscribe and like us on iTunes. Anything else we need to say? And leave us a five-star ratings for your hosts, Hutch the Marine Investor and Dr. Heat Jones. Signing off.